Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Jenkins, and welcome back to the Land of Vienna Street podcast, the show where you get the best guests, but these slightly underwhelming regulars. I kid, of course, and I'm grateful to uh, both Will Jones and James Jarvis for joining me on today's show. For episode 140, we are very fortunate to be joined by one of the biggest success stories of Bolton's youth system, a man whose example set the template for players like Ron Darcy, Dennis Politic, and all of the young whites who were so impressive in the early parts of this season. Please welcome to the show, Rob Holding. Rob, thank you for joining us today. I won't ask how you've been holding up because I'd lose all credibility with a pun like that. But either way, uh, I hope you've been keeping well during these strange times. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a strange time we're in and everyone's doing the best to deal with it. But I'm enjoying the time at home in the Lions, I'd say. But yeah, going well. Yeah, I was going to ask, what is it like um, living, I would imagine, sort of in London or more in a more affected area right at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm just on the outskirts of London, so I'm not banging the centre where everyone's obviously living on top of each other. But... Um, it seems okay. Like I said, the local supermarkets are all on lockdown and you've got like one-way systems in the supermarket, which can be annoying, but you've got to deal with it at the time. Yeah, I imagine it's a, sort of a change of pace given the, what you're used to. But given Arsenal are one of the first to reintroduce training, I'm sort of curious to know what that's been like given the rules on social distancing. It comes to being easy to maintain your levels. Uh, yeah, it's been sort of as we, we all have different time slots and uh, it's like three or four lads at the same time. So as we turn up, if we turn up slightly early, we have to wait in one car park while the other lot leave. And then we can go and park next to the pitch and just literally get out of the, in our own gear, get out of the car, bring your own football and jump on the pitch and do the runs. It sounds like a pain. Is there, has there been any sort of indication as to when things might be getting back to normal? Uh, it's all government related, really. We've got to wait for this lockdown to be lifted and then it will be slowly introduced into smaller group sessions and then progress from there and... Uh, See what happens really it's a bit of the unknown at the moment but we've just got to follow the guidelines and stick to what we're told really yeah absolutely it's obviously uh troubling times but i think uh, we can talk about a lot more positive ones when i take you back to what i presume are much happier times when you are making it inroads in your bolton career having been at the club since you were seven years old how, how did you find uh, the level of academy coaching at bolton when you were a young age yeah it was always always top we had uh, obviously we were in the premier league so we were fast as a uh, category one academy and um, each year we had good coaches. We rotated sometimes, kept the same coaches. I remember we had uh, two coaches that I had for like the really early years from like eight till 12. And then they sort of rotate around and you get a different coach each, each year. And um, not till it come up to like sort of 15, 16s, where I was with Nick Spooner. And then obviously you're mixing in then with the full-time lads who were the scholars who were with sort of Tony Kelly and Dave Lee. And I think the standard that they have and who they've produced through the years uh, speaks volumes. Yeah, Nick, Nicky Spooner, certainly his passion for the youth system came through in the uh, Coventry game at the start of this year for Bolton when obviously the Young Whites made their made their first few appearances. He he sounds like he really gets invested in coaching at a youth level. Yeah, definitely. Not just as on the pitch stuff. He's uh, very in touch with, sort of, I mean, he has kids of his own, so he's very in touch with sort of what, what a young lad's going through with testosterone changing and I remember a sit down I had with him sort of 15s when I had a bit of an attitude and I was sort of <laughs> messing about here and there. And he just sort of said, Listen, you've got the talent, pull your finger out and get, get in line. And that was a bit of a wake up call. And I think since then it sort of pushed me on and sort of refocused me. And obviously what happened, happened. Yeah, no, so as you say, there was certainly a good collection of players that he helped to bring through. So I think it speaks volumes about his level of coaching. And you mentioned David Lee as well. I think when everyone looks at David Lee, it's sort of that example of the uh, the physical level of training that he seems to put impose on people. Do you think that that helps 
as a youth player to see that he's an example to follow, uh, doing all these extra runs, extra weights in the gym, etc. Oh, for sure. When we're out running in pre-season and he's joining in in some of the runs and uh, running off in front of us and we've got to catch him and stick with him. I remember one of the stories when uh, we sort of started and we were in the forest and he'd, he set off and it was like, oh, we've got to keep up with him. <laughs> he sets the sets the standard and if your coach is doing that then you, you fall into place yeah no it must be a very very helpful example to have and I think I remember when we spoke to to Zach Clough he was saying how obviously you've got David Lee setting the physical example and Tony Kelly giving you all the encouragement as well it seems like they work well as a duo yeah for sure Tony Kelly keeps the keeps the morale and the spirit high between the lads and if people are coming in and they're a bit down that day or tired, it'll crack a joke that morning and get everyone laughing and just lift the vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, like, like I said, we've spoken to Zach Clough, we've spoken to, to Josh Velli, and as you've already said, you had a great collection of players alongside you at youth level. Lots of them got first-team chances. Did, do you think the um, uh, adaption to the high level that you made in that 2015-16 season was helped by the fact that you had them playing alongside you? Yeah, I listened to the uh, the Cluffy podcast the other day when I was all sat on the bike and... Uh, it's just great to hear from him and hear his side of things and what he was going through at the time, obviously, with his transfers and what was being pushed on him, which I think mm-hmm. is just football and stuff that happens. But, yeah, obviously, being close to Zach and growing up together, it was like, that was someone who, when he broke through, it was like, oh, wow, we actually can potentially break through here. And um, Josh was obviously two years, two years or three years older than me, I think two. And uh, he was the one who was the, from an early age, was the one that was always said he was going to break through and be the the catalyst for us to start a push on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must have been a good to have an example of a player making it through to the first team because for so many years at Bolton, it was an issue from a fan's perspective that we didn't really have um, a youth player making it into the first team. I think Nicky Hunt was uh, and Kevin Nolan, it was sort of all the way back then before you guys came along. So it was great to see you make your debut and that was that was handed to you by, by Neil Lennon. Do you think yeah. he played a really key role in your progression to the first team? Um, yeah, I think Neil Lennon obviously put the faith in me and believed in me to to play at that level. And I think prior to that, um, Ian Brunskill came in as our 23s coach and uh, with his assistant, Andy Hughes. And I think they were very productive in my career and that step from sort of 23s to first team and giving me that belief. And obviously I went on loan to Bury, which was just a sort of end of season loan for a couple of months. And they were in a great time. They got promoted and stuff. So mm-hmm. great. Absolutely. I was going to say, Rob. Obviously, you got the the opportunity to then be coached by by sort of all the ones throughout the system, as you say, and you know it gave you a good opportunity to get an experience for and a feel for how they all, you know, you know, differed in that respect. Uh, but was it was it difficult for you to sort of you know get get to grips with things, given that all the training methods weren't the same all of the time? You know, would you have liked to stay with the same coach all the way through? Would you think it was quite effective the way that the system worked? Um, I think it's effective to have different style of coaches because when you get into your your career and your first team career the likelihood of you having a manager for 10 years all the way through your career is very very mm. nowadays. so having to adapt to different systems and different style of plays uh, does help you eventually for the long term like I've been at Arsenal now and I've had three different managers so sort of different philosophies different styles and being able to adapt to them quickly sure. comes from having different coaches growing up yeah, like you say, I'm sure it then gave you an idea for what it'd be like that at first team level, as you say, and obviously with Neil Lennon being the first of those, it then gave you an idea as to as to what that would be like as managers change throughout that time. 
which I'm sure uh, Tom, Tom will hop onto in just a second. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think that system's quite effective in that it gives you it gives you the the opportunity to experience all all different levels of it, and you know you, you you're then not completely surprised when a new one comes in and tries to teach you something completely different. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. Right, sorry, Tom. I'll let you continue with that. Sorry no, not not a problem at all. It's a, it's a it's a good question. I haven't thought of that. Well, um, obviously, as we said, Neil Lennon gave you your debut, Rob, in the um, game against Burton in, in the League Cup. How did he let you know you were starting? Um, I can't remember now. It was I wouldn't have had a probably the day before we were doing like team shape or whatever, and he was um, I was in the starting team, and I was just like, oh, so I'm actually going to be starting this one because I was with the first team through that preseason. And we started on the bench for a couple of preseason friendlies and uh, in and around it. So then, obviously, the first game of the season was was it Derby at home? I think that yeah, it was yeah. And uh, they got a one-one draw, didn't we? Which was a good result because they were Derby, one of the favourites to go up that year. And um, yeah, then the Burton game came on the Tuesday, and I was thrown in. And I was I can't remember the result of that game. I think we, I think we lost one 0 unfortunately, which is sort of typical of the results we got that season. <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. And then, uh, which obviously. Went on to the the Middlesbrough game that that weekend. I think that was a wake up call to the the standard, the, the different from like twenty threes football to first team football. I remember Stuart Downing just taking taking the mic with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one it's one of those things, isn't it? I think when you're making your way in the team, you sort of need to have um, experienced players alongside you because as we saw at the start of this season, when all the young whites were thrown in, yes, you know their hearts were in the right place and they were doing some good things. But I think unless you've got you know the anchors around you of more experienced players. It is very very difficult to make that um, that sort of step up because you had around you, if memory serves, Dorian David, David Weeter. Um, I think Matt Mills had just left at that time, but there were obviously experienced defenders for you to be able to learn off there. For sure, yeah, Weeter Weet, was huge in uh, that season. The type of, obviously everyone knows the character he is and the sort of good personality he is. So having him there throughout the season was uh, was a big influence on me. And then, of course, you know, you get your starting in the first team. You've sort of been making progress, getting quite a lot of rave reviews. But as we said, the, the team was struggling at, at the time. Uh, it, might, it might sound daft this, and obviously you'll be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but did, did it help, do you think, that you had more defending to do in games to be able to progress your game? You get more learning situations, if you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if a, a team's doing well, the defence shouldn't be really taking any of the plaudits. It should just be like the attackers are scoring the goals and stuff. And the defending becomes easy. So when you're under the cosh for 80 minutes of the game, you have a chance to show what you can do. And it's not, I don't go out there thinking, I'm going to show off and do what I do. It's just as the game comes to me and I have to deal with different situations, just dealing with them and sort of, once I've done that, giving the ball to the people in front of me and saying, right, go on, you, you, it's your turn now. <laughs> Fair enough. Do, do, do you think, you mentioned Wita before, do you think you two complemented each other reasonably well, given he's sort of a more, how do I put this, uh, What's it? A robust kind of style, and you're sort of famous for being a bit better at, with the ball at your feet. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a head on the stick. <laughs> <laughs> you, Rob, you said it, not me. I don't get in trouble yeah, for that. Sure. <laughs> I know. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> uh, no, but he's got a bit of technical ability. I saw him doing crags in the box and stuff, which maybe you learned from me because I remember against Ipswich at home, I, I did a little cry. <laughs> yeah, that terrified the fans, Rob. We're watching we to do that. My word. Score <laughs> <laughs> of that year, I think. <laughs> No, like I say, it, it, I think partnerships sort of help a, a, a centre-back level. And obviously, you've, you've played with a hell of a lot of, of defenders, even in your, your career so far. And I just think, I wonder, it, it, does it that kind of style centre-half do you think you work best alongside? Uh, I don't know. I like to think I can get up and win it when, when I have to. But mm-hmm. I, do, really. I do enjoy more playing 
with the ball at my feet and sort of building the attack over the ball on the floor rather than all the time being defending across, defending a long ball. But mm-hmm. in a championship, that's what you get and you have to deal with that and I think it sets the right foundations for moving up. Was that something okay. that, sorry, well, uh, was that something that was instilled with you within our academy or is that something that's always just naturally been a part of your game? Um, no, I think we've, we've always, uh, Bolton's academy was always sort of played played good football and it wasn't just hoof down the line or playing the channels. Um, it was very much get on the get the ball on the floor and pass, pass, pass and score score goals. And uh, from an early age, that was instilled into us and that's how we how we played. I was going to say, I know we're quite stereotypically recognised for, for being that hoof, hoof ball style uh, style team, but like you say, you're obviously opposed to that. And obviously, well, you've you just got to sort of do whatever the, the situation requires. But with you sort of breaking in, it quite obviously being apparent sort of from minute one that you weren't going to adhere to that. Um, and you, you're sort of a guinea pig in, in that respect, that you're quite happy to play it on the floor and, and perhaps influence the rest of the team to do so. And it, it seems to just be so confident in the way that, that you did it. Was that sort of a, a nervy time at all, given that the rest of the team was sort of very much, you know, used to used to the hoofball style, or at least, you know, if not always, uh, at least playing it in the air quite a bit more than perhaps what you were used to. And did, did you feel a sort of responsibility in that respect, or, or, or did it come quite naturally? Yeah, I didn't feel like a responsibility to be the one that I might I have to get the ball and put it on the floor for us to play a nicer style of football. It was just sort of. Something as I'd have the ball. If I had the time, I could I could find a pass. And there's always going to be someone on the field that's not going to be man marked. So it's about finding that person and seeing the the bigger picture when you're on the ball. And I think Spear always liked getting the ball to his feet. So he was and Danzi liked getting it to his feet so he could sort of bring the ball forward and yeah. attack. So they were always looking for it, which was. No. Which, it was good to have that that difference in the squad because I think it, it just allowed us to play a different style and perhaps not to be quite as predictable as, as we once were. Um, so it, it's quite interesting to hear that and, and to see that for you know quite clearly in your playing style throughout was a was a breath of fresh air for us. I think really. But yeah, um, I, I think it's a shame, isn't it? Really, that um, obviously you were making your way into the first team in such a difficult season because uh, you know you were one of the shining lights in that 2015-16 season. Given there were struggles on the pitch, but also the struggles off it with the financial issues that happened in around October. What was that like from from your perspective as a young player making your way in the game? Um, yeah, the, the financial side that didn't really affect me because I was just a scholar, or like maybe a first year pro at the time, so I was on very low wage, and that they weren't affected. Whereas the other lads around us, they were affected by it, and it must be hard to be playing week in, week out, and not knowing that your next paycheck's going to come that month. So it is difficult, and I felt for the lads, but I was sort of focused on what I needed to do and playing, playing the football. So, so in that respect, do you think that that was probably why you managed to make the adaption to first-team football so much easier because you weren't burdened by that kind of off-field pressure? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know that the older lads have kids and families and most of them rely on that monthly wage. So it is. it must be tough for them and I have no idea how they dealt with it. And obviously confidence goes down there and your performance and that season sort of the inevitable ended up happening. But yeah, for me, it was sort of just focusing on playing each week and the fact that the games come thick and fast in the championship, you have a game on the weekend and then you're playing midweek and then you're playing again. So you don't really have time to, to think about it. You're preparing for the next game. Mm, I think it's obviously very, very difficult, as you say, for the senior players and it affected them greatly. You could see that on the pitch. Do you, do you think had those financial issues not occurred, there would have, there was a squad there that was perfectly capable of keeping us in that league without any issues? 
Yeah, for sure. You look at the the squad and the players that we had. You, you should have been keeping us in that league, no problem, really. But everything that was going around the club and the sort of that atmosphere and the the grey cloud that was over it does make it difficult. How did Neil Lennon handle the situation? He comes across as quite a fiery character. I don't imagine he enjoyed having sort of his back to the wall in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened upstairs with Neil Lennon and, and the board or what have you, but mm-hmm. he just wanted us to go out there and just be confident. And yeah, I remember him always saying, just be a player to the attacking lads, get on the ball and just do something, attack someone. I think Cluffy said in his early, in his podcast, he just wanted to get on the ball and drive at people with his skills and take it round and then finish off with a nice goal or whatever. So Neil Lennon was just sort of wanted us to play play football and just sort of put everything to the back of our heads and concentrate on on playing. Yeah, I think it was, it was obviously a shame the way it ended and there were loads of issues around um, Neil Lennon's tenure and you know, the things going on off the pitch. It was just sort of, for want of a better phrase, it was a bit of a shit show really in, in all general in, in general terms. Did, did your relationship with, with Neil Lennon suffer at all as a relation as, as a result of that or did you two always sort of remain on decent terms? Oh yeah, we are always on decent terms and with his uh, assistant Parky, he was always, always uh, a laugher and a joker. So, mm-hmm. On the away trips, I was the young lad and I was thrown forward to play cards at the front with the, on the gas table. <laughs> oh, a little bit of a teacher's pet there, Rob. <laughs> other lads, as soon as I'd sit down on the back and we'd set off, I'd just get a, a shout, Rob, come forward. And I was like, oh, here we, here we go. So I was playing, playing the cards. But it was a good, I enjoyed it. It was fun, fun card game. It's better than sitting on the coach in silence and listening to headphones for three, four hours. Yeah, I think there seems to be a lot of that lost and it comes to sort of like dressing room spirit nowadays. I remember reading or listening to Peter Crouch's podcast and his book and it was just, you know, talking about how there was always places on the bus where everyone had to sit and nowadays that sort of lost on everyone because as you say, they're either buried in their, their phones or listening to music. What was, what was the dressing room atmosphere like even though it was a difficult time for the team? Uh, I think the atmosphere was good between the lads because you had good characters in there that could lift, lift people. Like I said, like Max Clayton would always be singing and I think he's on his Instagram singing all the time. Uh, Fancies uh, himself as a pop star, does he? he? To be fair, he's got a bit of singing, so... Perfect. I, mean, I know Danzy, Danzy's massively into his music as well. You see him on, on Twitter, he's always in his studio doing stuff, so... It was good personalities and they could lift and we'd sort of put the bad things that are going on to the back of our minds and sort of find comfort around each other. Yeah, I, I think... We've seen sort of in recent years with the promotion season and when we stayed up on the last day against Nottingham Forest, one of the, the key aspects was sort of maintaining good morale in there. And I think that the sort of you have these key members of a squad like uh, Josh Feller and David Wheat who sort of helped to keep morale high. And I, I suppose they sort of had quite an impact on you trying to get, you know, G you up and keep you going, even though it must have been a difficult first season for you. Yeah, yeah, they, they were. They were top and they got up and bought thanks for him and speak very highly of him every time someone asked me about Wheat or uh, Josh and the young young lads that were coming through at that time. Yeah, certainly seemed to be a good atmosphere and good people to be around. One of the other things, you mentioned um, the assistance that Neil Lennon had at the time, and I know he left relatively near towards the start of when you began your career at Bolton, but there was a lot made in the press of um, Johan Mialbi leaving the club and then sort of the defence seemed to be struggling a bit more in his absence. Do you think that was felt at all or is that sort of a myth? Um, I only had a few sessions with him and I, was, I wasn't even playing at the time. I was sort of just being an extra number for the first team and uh, he he would go off and do separate work with the back four and I'd be sort of pinging balls and then we'd rotate around and we'd have to and he'd work on like positioning and covering each other so maybe if when he went he sort of lost that defensive stability of just sort of repetitive work that good defences are built on so yeah maybe but 
I wasn't there, wasn't sort of involved as much to be able to to say if it affected that much. No, fair enough. Like I said, I looked at the dates and they overlapped slightly, but it wasn't really your, your time at the club when that absence would have been felt so much. But um, we nice. talked about defending, of course, but there's uh, the small matter of you scoring your first goal for Bolton later on in that season against MK Dons. That must have been some feeling for you. Yeah, that was a good game. We won 3-1, right? I think uh, we so did, yeah. was just ripping it up that day. <laughs> he was he was technically very good and he could switch it on and sometimes he'd never switch it on, which is which was annoying, but he had the ability. Well, yeah, the first, the first goal was that Gary Medine got up from a Feeney cross, headed off the crossbar, and it just sort of fell to me. And uh, a nice little volley from two yards to, to, to take my first goal. They all count, mate. They all count. Okay, exactly, yeah. <laughs> do, do you think you could have scored more goals for the club? Is that side of your game that you, you sort of enjoy? Um, growing up, it was always... I'd always score at least sort of five or, five or six goals a season just from crosses and corners and stuff. So... Something that I always want to work on is score more goals because there's nothing better than scoring a goal. Uh, definitely, we, we've spoken to Adam Lafondre and he's certainly of that opinion. I think he loves scoring goals more than anything else in the world. So, for a defender, when you don't get the opportunity as much, it must be very, very special when it does come around. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, obviously, as we said, you know it was a very, very difficult season for you. But even though you came away winning uh, Player of the Year, if, if memory serves, but even after that relegation, you had the uh, the, the Legends game. In, in which you and Cluffy were, were opposing managers, how did it feel to be the boss of JJ Okocha for a day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An 19-year-old telling JJ Okocha how to play football. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a dribble. Just pass the ball to pass the ball to you. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I can't remember who. So which of the two teams you, you were managing. Were you in charge of Alan Stubbs, maybe, at centre-half or something like that? Or telling Paddy McGuinness not to do so many tactical fouls? I think I was... Uh, McGinley's team. Uh, right, so you won at least then. Yeah, I mean, can you say about the the, uh, the player of the season? I've got that in the picture behind me in the kitchen. All oh, right. It's not bad. It's uh, Bolton aren't used to winning silverware, so I'd certainly uh, <laughs> make sure you keep hold of that. Because they treasure it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after in the aftermath of that season, to sort of prove as to, to how well that you'd done, Rob, you uh, were then picked to play for England under twenty ones in the Toulon tournament. How proud a moment is that in your career? Yeah, that was. I actually found out about that at half time during that Legends game. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. special. We were in the changing rooms, and I remember just checking my phone, and I had like three missed calls. Dave Lee missed call, and I, so I rang, rang back Dave Lee, and he said. England have been trying to get in touch with. Uh, I think it was Brandon Galloway who was at Everton at the time had dropped out, so uh, I'd got the got the call up, and I remember sort of telling Cluffy at half time, and he was he was so surprised and oh yeah, I'm jealous I imagine. Cluffy <laughs> <laughs> never got a call up to England 21s or 18s, especially in our under 18 season when he was a second year and I was a first year. It was uh, beyond belief really the the goals he was scoring, but things like that happened. But I think he was he was so happy for me to be called up. Because yeah. England, England's all well and good, Rob, but you know, you can't be on your phone at half time in the dressing rooms. It's just not acceptable. <laughs> I'd given all the hairdryer treatment and then I just went into the. <laughs> Some things are more important, of course. It was a very good tournament. I remember watching it. Obviously, there's a sense of pride for for every Bolton fan when you see. You know, a young player going to the under twenty ones, or even someone you know like Gary Cahill or Kevin Davis playing for the England side. I, I don't suppose that you felt an awful lot of expectation given the, the size of the club that we are. But it must have been good to know that you had so many people willing you on. Yeah, I think it was just good to get looked at from England. Obviously, 
they're dominated mainly by the Premier League clubs and stuff. So to be looked at in a, at Bolton and called up was unbelievable. And I was just happy to be there and training with. I remember the first training session, the standard, and I was just thinking, like, this is some standard, like the passing, how fast it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like some Blue Baker at Chelsea, Ward Prowse, obviously a teammate now, Callum Chambers, and John Swift at Reading. Well, who's it? I think you just come from Chelsea at the time, but the standard was obviously um, Loftus Cheek as well. He was just bullying players. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's certainly a very, very talented side. It, it just must have been good. To, you must have felt that your game improved immeasurably being exposed to that kind of level of talent. Yeah, exactly. That exactly. sort of put me in good stead going into that pre-season of making the move to Arsenal. Yeah, do you think that being in the under-21s was sort of a key component of putting you on their radar? Uh, I think Arsenal had been watching because it was the last game of the season. I was on the coach and Jimmy Phillips was the manager, the caretaker manager. Mm. Um, we're on the coach now to Fulham for the last game of the season. Oh, yeah, I remember this. And I, I get off the coach and Jimmy Phillips just pulls me and he just says, uh, I can't play you tomorrow. And I was like, why? Like, <laughs> you know, I told me three or four hours ago before coming all the way down. Before you got on the coach, yeah. For God's sake. But he said, no, I've had um, a phone call from the chairman and he said, I'm not allowed to play you. Do you, know, do you know why? And I was like, I have no idea. So I shot up to my room in the hotel straight away on the phone to my agent. And he said, yeah, Arsenal's been interested and been on the phone. So we, we don't want to play in case you get injured. And obviously, I had to, I sat in a stand that night and it was that game the next day. And it was mm-hmm. a beautiful day as well. Beautiful day. I remember it being, the grass looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> But you just wanted to be out there and play. I think, I think if anything sums it up, how you know what a shambles the club was. I mean, even though obviously the takeover had happened by that point, it's just that, isn't it? You you want to be kind of kept, you know, in the loop in terms of getting that information rather than just have being dropped on you as you're about to get on a coach. You know, seems odd. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a weird situation. Even if you had said that in the, a perfect opportunity to hear that Arsenal were interested, it would it would have took me took me back anyway. So yeah, it was it was a weird situation, but. That was a, a pre an off season of just sort of sitting around thinking and waiting to see if anything happened. Really, yeah. So, so what happened from that moment when your agent told you about the interest from Arsenal? I presume, given the the troubles at the club and the way he played that season, the plan may well have always been to leave anyway. But it must have been sort of, as you say, quite a while before that interest turned into something concrete. Yeah, I mean, it never crossed my mind to leave leave Bolton that season. I oh, was, really? Yeah, I, I didn't think. That. I didn't put anyone's radar, but I just broke into Bolton. See, my focus was playing each game for Bolton, and going through the off season. Obviously, the thing happened at the end of the season. So I'm in mind, but I was preparing myself for League One football with Bolton. And I remember going to Thailand with four of my mates who were just in the uni, and we just sort of went backpacking, and then came back and started pre-season with Phil Parkinson coming and his his team. Oh, really? But that, honestly, that 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 it seems very, very odd to me because it was sort of, I think, a foregone conclusion amongst the fans that you'd be leaving because of how well you'd played. So it's, it's good to see that you were you know, planning on staying with Bolton if, if that interest hadn't come in. But obviously, when a club like Arsenal comes knocking, you'd be, you'd be mad to have turned that down. Yeah, that's, that's the reason. I know people say, like, would you have stayed if things were different at Bolton and the chance to go to Arsenal, I don't think you can turn down because turn Arsenal down and then you never know if you're ever going to get that opportunity again. So it was something that I had to just sort of yeah, I, I don't think anyone blames you for that particularly Rob and I know that you could arguably play hard to get and say oh well I'm not accepting the first offer that comes in but you know the, the potential for that to then, to then go belly up or to not quite work as you'd expect you know it's far too much of an opportunity to pass up I think isn't it yeah exactly, exactly. That's, how we, that's how I looked at it 
did, did the owners put any pressure on you, given there was sort of an element of trying to get as, as much money uh, as possible to try and help fund the club in the future? Uh, I didn't speak to the owners about it, really. I knew, I knew they were sort of taking the time with it because they wanted to get as much as they could, which is fully understandable, the, the financial trouble that was in. They wanted to make as much as they could from an asset, and that's just the way football works. And I, if I could have made more money for Bolton, I'd have been happy to go for a higher price, <laughs> you know? It's horrible to see yourself referred to as an asset, Rob. Christ, you're a human being, for the love of God. <laughs> I know, don't put yourself down like that. Well, no, but he, he is right, though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the way that football is at the moment. And I think, as you you know, you listen to the Cluffy one, and it was so horrible to hear the way that he was talking about basically, you know, being a commodity, being bought and sold to try and, you know, help fund the club. And then from a Nottingham Forest perspective, almost discarded six months after he got there. You know, did, did given... You know, th- that is how football works. How, was there an element of trepidation going to Arsenal? Um, obviously, I was. I didn't know if I was going to be good enough to play there. And uh, I remember sort of my agent and my dad sitting down with me just saying, "Do you think you'll be good enough to play for Arsenal?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> as if you were going to say no, like, <laughs> yeah, no, never going to play. Well, I had to just take that chance and." Take that leap of faith, you know. And I felt I felt so sorry for Cluffy when I was listening to the podcast and hearing how he was feeling and things that were going through with him and how he was sort of forced out, not forced out, but well, he, he effectively was Rob. To be fair, yeah. you know, that is what it was. He loved to stay at Bolton for as long as he could, and he loved living in the area he lived in. And he loved being around his family, so felt so sorry for him and the way. I remember he the bit that got. I remember the bit that got me with uh, with Cluffy was when Lafondre was on his way back. And I think he called him up on his way back to Bolton and say, "Oh, he can't wait to start playing with him again." And just as he was coming up, Cluffy was on his way out. It was just heartbreaking to hear. Yeah, you got on well and had a good little partnership. Yeah, it's such a shame. No, it's it's just uh, Rob's right. It's it's such a shame that you know we we managed to you know bring those two through, and it it, it's like well, obviously you went on to to big and better things, but Zach Zach wasn't so lucky, and you know. We've said it before, we'll say it again. He's welcome back to us at any time, just as you are, Rob. Although I think it'd be not the best career move for you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not. Maybe not. Any, any, I think um, one of the key questions that I would ask when we're talking about you know, being bought and sold, etc., and obviously whether you're worried about being able to make that step up, what, what kind of role in the team were Arsenal offering you at the time? Was there sort of an element of you'll have a year to adjust and then we'll try and make you a first team player? Um, I think at the time it was just, I'm going to be in, in the first team squad. Which was just like, okay, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I didn't know. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm coming here, but I have to play at least 50% of the games. You know, <laughs> I wasn't in any yeah. situation to be able to say that. No, of course. And um, I was just, yeah, you want me in, in and around the first team, straight into the first team, changing room, sat alongside Alexis Sanchez. I was like, how's how's life got here? <laughs> <laughs> Practicing your Spanish, of course, um, and then you get to be basically be thrown straight in at the deep end because of the injuries to Mertesacker and Gabriel. That must have been yeah. an incredible experience playing against Liverpool. Yeah, the first day I went down to Arsenal, and it was they were just training for the day before a friendly in France in France against Lens. And um, I remember as I was stood watching training, Callum Chambers, obviously that I'd met through England, he jogged over to me and just said, "Nice to see you. Like, glad this move's happening and stuff." And mm-hmm. To be fair, the way Callum dealt with it, because obviously I'm the same position as him, he might have felt threatened by it, but he just he didn't come across like that at all. He was he was so happy to sort of put me under his wing, and I was literally connected connected to him by the hip for the first week of just like every to go into the canteen. I was just next to him, and he just he got a bit of stick for it, but we stayed like that. <laughs> 
It's like, well, it's good, it's good you have someone to help you. Yeah, it? exactly. You get someone to help you adjust. It's not, not no shame in that whatsoever. Although you know, I probably would have taken them in account of you myself, but you know, and all your people still do. <laughs> I'm not surprised. But it's it's good that you sort of have been sim- similar times in your careers, sort of making that step up to, to Arsenal at a similar time. Like I say, it's good to have, know that someone else is there in the same shoes as you are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A young lad who's just sort of finding his way from moving from Southampton and moving to a big club and. No, no, it's all right at all. I, I think it's interesting, of course, that, like I say, you got the uh, Liverpool game, but you had um, Mertesacker and Gabriel injured and that's what got you thrown in. It must, like I say, it must have been very, very difficult for you to be thrown in at that deep end up against the likes of Mane, Firmino, etc. Yeah, Coutinho, I remember Coutinho. I remember him uh, going down rather softly because I was used to championship football. Him going down softly just before half time and then putting a free kick in the top bin. I was thinking, geez, this is <laughs> Welcome to the Premier League, etc. Et <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I mentioned Mertesacker there. Obviously, he couldn't teach you an awful lot about running, but he must have been able to teach you quite a bit about defending at that level. Oh, for sure. Per was absolutely brilliant. And the way his persona around the changing room and on the pitch, he's just like a, a leader of men and anything I could learn from him, obviously, really winning the world. And late that year, getting the chance to play with him in the in the last game of the season and, and winning the FA Cup was uh, was unbelievable. Really, really crazy situation. Yeah, his passion for, for the club and just sort of, as you say, for winning seems to sort of shine through and I think that's a good way of trying to inspire a young player like yourself with possible aspirations of being a similar captain one day. Exactly, yeah, exactly. If you can see, I've asked the career he had. He had a pretty good career. Yeah, I, th- I want to ask, of course, because as you say, you've made the move down from uh, from Bolton to Arsenal. That's obviously a big step up in level uh, on the pitch. But off the pitch, it must have been quite difficult to adapt from life in and around the Bolton area down to towards London because it's such a sort of a hive of activity. There must be a hell of a lot going on that you're not really used to. Yeah, I was. Um... When I was at Bolton, I obviously lived at home with mum and dad still. And uh, mm. I used to drive to training every morning and go home. And then I'd literally get home and wait for my mates to finish work or finish unit. And then we'd be going to like the local Nando's and just sort of chilling out, hitting the gym, doing doing whatever. And it's about to move all the way away from home, start living on your own, doing your own cooking, your own washing and stuff. It is a bit of a difference. And I was just sort of getting settled. And Alex actually changed and lived just down the road from me. So he sort of helped me out a lot in terms of sort of social activities away from the club. Mm-hmm. We'd go for dinner in London and you're at like top, top. It's actually a funny little story. We went to Nobu in Mayfair and obviously mm. I'm just like a not, not, not normal northern lad. And they were obviously ordering a round of drinks and stuff and they were ordering what they were, whatever they were having. And I just remember saying, did they have, did they have cider in? <laughs> <laughs> and he went, he went, what? That's <laughs> just like, what are you having? I said, right, just order another one of them. I'll have the same as you. And I remember the food coming. It was all like raw fish. And I'm not really a, fi- a fish fan at the best of times. So never mind raw. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, was, it, was, it was funny. Just, the difference. And he just said, God, you are, you are Northern. <laughs> I, I, bet, I bet the bill was a bit of a shock, wasn't it, as well? I, I, oh, I, I, I heard that that place is uh, rather on the expensive side. Yeah, luckily, he took the bill straight away. And I was like, and that's a proper mate for you. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, I'm sure we've split some in the, in the time since then. 
These right. are all the things that people don't listen to or don't know about when they think about a move like that. You know, all these adaptations that you've got to make to um, to new life. It, one of the other ones, of course, being the fact that there's such a media spotlight on the Premier League and on Arsenal in particular. You know, with the fan sites and the you know just. You see, it seems to be that they have their own little spot in the newspaper front lines front page every single every single week. It must be very difficult to sort of curtail what you do on and off the pitch to try and deal with that kind of extra attention. Yeah, for sure. And I think I dealt with it better than my mum and dad, to be honest. They, you saw, I had the start and had a little three games at the start and got a good reputation, and everyone was like sort of surprised by how well I was doing. And uh, and then obviously a few games you that sort of adrenaline drops and you don't perform as well as you had done. And then the scrutiny starts instantly. And I think I just thought, right, if I can't take the good with the bad, then I'm just not going to look at any at all. Mm-hmm. And my mum and dad found it so hard to not read. And obviously they're up, up in Manchester and started trying to keep tracks on everything. But I think they found it hard. And some nights they'd be getting into arguments about reading stuff and not reading stuff. So I just ended up telling them, like, listen, you've got to just ignore it. Don't even click on it and... Don't give it that attention because it's just going to get back to me and sort of affect me mentally. So, yeah. At the end of the day, you're sort of old enough and daft enough, for want of a better phrase, to know whether you've played well or not. So you don't really need someone else piling on and telling you, I suppose. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, when you try and watch Match of the Day, like I've done every weekend growing up, and then mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're on there and being scrutinised, you're like, oh, wow, when, when did this happen? Oh God! Yeah, no, I think match of the day is going through it with a fine tooth comb, and we we spoke we spoke to Stuart Holden about it, and he was saying how come away from playing against Blackburn thinking he had a cracking game, and then Martin Keown ripping into shreds on his defensive work when he not even thought about anything like that. You know, it's just the game that he scored the winner. That like so. exactly that they, they were trying to take credit away from him, saying that oh he should have marked Ryan Nelson at a corner. Oh, it's all right, Christopher Samba wasn't actually running on, so he, he it was an easy goal to score. It's like for God's sake, bore off. Well, if you're expecting Stuart Holden to beat Samba in the air, then. <laughs> exactly. exactly and this is why Rob no one listens to Martin Keown anyway <laughs> no, I was going to say Rob's not in a position to really say all that possibly not possibly not I spoke to Martin Keown once before after I can't remember which season it was I think it was my second season and he was uh, we were doing like the lap of honour clapping the fans and stuff and um, he was obviously broadcasting for BT I think at the time so he was on pitch side and as it all finished he came and had a chat with me and Callum it was actually really good, like a really good insight to how he how he was and what he expects of us, sort of thing, and how we can do things a little differently that might benefit us. So it was nice for him to take that time out and actually just have a little chat because I know he used to play against his son. His son's a similar age to me, and his son was at Reading and um, at under 18s when I was at Bolton. Reading were the, the one of the best teams in the league, so it was us and Reading who didn't. We didn't. I think. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think Bolton. We didn't lose a game till sort of late January, and it was away at Reading. And um, they had a good, really good team. But then we got our revenge in the FAU Cup that year. Yeah, well done. I, I, so maybe I'm being a bit too harsh on Kian. I think there's sort of this Arsenal perception, though, isn't there? Because you've got all these pundits now who consistently keep on talking about whether or not they think Arsenal should be better defensively or not. You've got Dixon, Keown, Tony Adams from time to time, obviously these great defenders from the past. Mm-hmm. And if they're willing to impart their wisdom onto you, that's fantastic. Because if you want to draw on any experience, they've got the best in the business, really. Yeah, yeah. Meeting, um, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know. Meeting um, Tony Adams for the first time. I was just sort of in the changing room before a game, sort of early in my career. He came in and was like giving people a little walk around, a little tour, and um, sort of sort of stood and had a little chat and was saying he likes likes the way I play and likes what he sees. So keep going and stuff. And that was that was like sort of a a step back moment of me being like, oh wow, that's Tony Adams. Like 
legendary England Arsenal centre half, you know. That's very good of him to be doing that. Like I say, it must make your job adapting to that level much easier. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. The, the, the other side of the media, of course, and um, I think one of the best examples that I could see, for example, if Bolton were in a, a sort of a higher level, bigger club, would be as and when we got promoted and survived. You see all these funny videos doing the rounds of David Wheat to Josh Vedder out at the pub drinking with fans and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's great that there can be that fan interaction. But given that you're at such a big club like Arsenal, do you not think that there's a fear of it becoming tabloid news if you were to go out on a night out or something like that? I imagine there must be that element of doubt when you want to try and let off some steam. Uh, you, you get that, obviously. You see people and, like, if people are trying... The worst one is when people try and take sly photos. That's that's annoying. Like, I'd rather I'm just coming... If I'm sat in a pub or whatever on, on, the, on my free time or whatever, if they come over and have a chat, I'll sit and have a chat, like, no problem, and uh, talk about football... And obviously, say as much as you can, but keep stuff that you're not allowed to say <laughs> prior yeah, to course. <laughs> well, I don't mind having that interaction. And I think sometimes fans, fans might be too shy to maybe be like, oh, I could go say hello and just like want to take a sly photo instead. But each to their own. And anytime a fan comes up to me, be it a Bolton fan or a Arsenal fan, I'll sit and have a chat if they're, if they're just normal, normal people, you know? Yeah, well, I, th- I think you sort of made it off your own bat there because you might get a few nutters coming your way now, Rob. I know. Don't be too generous with that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the other the other side of uh, fan interaction is uh, being an Arsenal player. It'd be remiss of me to not go talk to you about AFTV. How, how much attention do you guys pay to that? I imagine it's sort of more difficult nowadays with all the attention it gets in the general media. Yeah, I've not been sort of the brunt of that, really. I, I get... A few little comments and stuff, but you, you see clips here and there. Sometimes it's unavoidable when you're scrolling through Instagram and on your Explorer or whatever, and there's a there's a clip and you end up clicking on it and talk and listening to it. But like, you got to take it and just fans are entitled to their opinion, and mm-hmm. they think obviously the what matters is if my coach is telling me you played well there, I need to do this better, then that's what I'm going to listen to. I'm not going to listen to someone else scrutinising my game really, and. Um, but yeah, like I said, you take the good with the bad if you if you can want to listen to it. But if you don't, you just avoid all good and all bad coverage. Yeah, I, mean, you're thing, I couldn't agree it. more. I couldn't agree more. I just think it's interesting. Sorry, Will, that it's uh, one of those things that obviously you do come across. But I've always been of the opinion, you know, while I think we're in a very fortunate position as a fan side to have this voice that people end actually listen to. Realistically, if I'm a footballer, I'm not going to be that bothered about what Tom Jenkins on the Line of the End Street podcast says about whether I played well or not. I'd be more bothered about... Uh, you know, my coach saying it. So uh, I think from a player's perspective, this needs to be sort of that way that you, you keep your head above it in a way, rather rather than, you know, sinking to the same level because you're going to get constructive criticism, but 90% of it a lot of the time is he's shit, he's this, he's that, rather, which is n- not going to be helpful for anyone to listen to. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. You've just got to, like say, take the good with the bad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think at Bolton, obviously you had the luxury of, of ne- no one ever saying a bad word about you. <laughs> you know, you only ever <laughs> had a more impact on that. And- you know, I'm I'm sure that obviously changed, you know, inevitably, um, you know, going into that standard just because everyone's going to, you know, have some sort of criticism for, you know, one reason or another, whether it's valid or not. And I'm guessing that would have been something that you really had to adapt to and you sort of expected you'd, you you would have to incur, but sort of you, it, it sounds as if you were you were quite willing to, to sort of take that on and, and brush it off. Yeah, it's part of, it's part of the, the the society we live in now with uh, social media and stuff. Everything's everything's out there and open to opinion. So yeah, you just got you get used to it and move with the times. Yeah, Has it affected we're, we're other people nice in your people, squad? 
But yeah, no, we're, we're, we're nice ones, Rob. You, you're sort of getting the sort of the tip of the iceberg <laughs> with us. <laughs> yeah, I've got no problem. Our Bolton fans are always really nice with me. Good. That's what we like to hear. I, I, last thing I, I want to say on this is, you know, how do other players at the club who maybe get a bit more criticism deal with it? I know that Hector Bellerin has had his runnings with Arsenal Fan TV in the past. Yeah, well, he was one that some of the things that I said there about how we're dealing with it was something, some things that he said to us as a team, obviously, with, when things have been bad and we've had meetings. And he just said, listen, this is what it is. Obviously, he's very sort of out there with his social media and his sort of fashion and everything that he sort of stands for and what he believes in, which is, which is some of the things that he believes in are brilliant. Like he's, and um, yeah, he just said, this is what it is. We listen to our coaches and we concentrate on what we can do and how we, if we perform on the pitch, it changes completely. So it all comes down to us. And so little things like that just sort of hit home with you and you, you then realise how to deal with it. I think it's very good that you've stayed grounded in that in that respect, Rob. Because, like I say, it can it, it can really affect people's mental health, whether it be footballers or just you know fans in general. When there's this constant stream of negativity coming towards you, so I commend you for for dealing with that so well, mate. Appreciate that. Thank you. Not at all. I, I think when, when I think of uh, sort of talking about you staying grounded, and it must have been very difficult for you to stay grounded when we talk about one of your high points at Arsenal, which I, I probably should admit this from a personal perspective. But I was in the Man City end when you played them. In the, so uh, was the I. Cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you played in the FA Cup semi and toyed toyed with Sergio Aguero, that must have been a hell of a feeling for you to watch, to watch him sort of send him for a hot dog if memory serves. Oh, <laughs> when he went over the top in the corner, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, How was that? The funny thing was, I had a good group of my friends from school. I lived sort of um, East Manchester way, and all of them were Blues, and so many of them were messaging me the day before because they were all there and they were all in the Wembley Park getting drunk and all ready for the game. So when I, I think the, the thing that I'm most gutted about that I wish I'd scored was on that corner when I just headed in, it just sort of grazed the top of the crossbar. And it was at the city end as well. And I thought if I'd have scored that, my mates would have given me so much stick. Bro, if you'd have scored that, you'd have seen my face looking at my mate to my left thinking, Christ, how am I going to deal with him on the way home? <laughs> <laughs> no, but oh, I mean, when, when we did score the winner and it fell to Sanchez, I, was, I think I was about two or three yards behind him. I thought, oh, if only I was just a bit closer, I would have snatched it. <laughs> Well, either way, you you managed to sort of um, make your stamp on the final as well with the Diego Costa incident as well. It must have been great getting the better of a competitor like him. Yeah, anyone that knows me and my dad definitely saw my dad in me, in me then. That way, really. <laughs> I, I was going to say, can, I, can you explain that photo at all? I think uh, we've got it here in, in the replies to the Twitter ones, actually. Have you just like pointed to, to your forehead uh, whilst looking at him and the rest got got hold of him? What, what, what was your take on that, would you say? The amount of times I've seen my dad do that to me, <laughs> it's just rubbed <laughs> off on me completely. But now that was something that I knew how Diego Costa plays and how he tries to get in centre. I think the season before he would, him and Gabriel had one hell of a battle at Stamford Bridge, and I think Gabriel ended up getting sent off. So I knew he was going to try and get in my head. And being a youngster, he'd have he'd have seen me as a target. Mm. Oh, I just knew because I I generally thought that was a foul on me in the first place because I was. I'm running across with him, we're both tugging at each other, and he ends up having his nearly ripping my shirt over my head and flipping me over his legs as he goes down. <laughs> and so he brings his heel over on top of my back, and I thought, have I just given a foul away, or is he giving a foul away there? And then I looked at the ref, and he he was pointing the like the opposite way to me. So I thought he's giving a foul to them. And then uh, I just remember Diego Costa like saying something in Spanish. I just remember her saying, "You're a nutter." <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a polite version, mate? <laughs> yeah. Missed out a word, but jumped back into position, and then so I got ready to defend that free kick. But I remember later in the game, we were 
I sort of crossed and I'm running back to my own goal and I just head it over the crossbar and away for a corner. And then sort of me and him are on the goal line as we would run into the box. And he just sort of gives me like a little tap on my chest as we defend that corner. And I think that might have been just been a little bit of respect. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, it, it was fine with it. It was all right. And I know Pam. Yeah, sure, shows real maturity, though, for, on, on your part, you know, that you were able to read that and know exactly what he was trying to do. And for you to just be able to go, nah, you're not having it from me. And, and for him to actually say, yeah, fair, you know, fair play, well done, is a, I'm, I'm sure it was quite a, quite a moment for you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't notice it at the time until I've watched I've watched the highlights of that game so many times. So. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just remember seeing the highlights and it actually had that little clip where it zooms in on it and you see it. And I was just like, oh, maybe that was a little bit of something there. But yeah, it was a good good day all in all. And I remember having my best mate from back home down in the Arsenal end and he was on sort of one of the front row seats. I remember finding him after the game when we were running around with the champagne. And uh yeah, obviously he's had his phone out. I grabbed his phone, did a little selfie video. <laughs> and I gave him a bit of the champagne, and I remember one of the stewards coming over, going, "You can't give the fans any of the champagne." And I was like, "My mate, my mate, it's fine." <laughs> God, yeah. uh, it stays like that that prove why you're better than Cannavaro. <laughs> oh dear! So uh, that song happened, and that was actually I got that song. I think from obviously Arsenal and Stoke have always had this ongoing battle of Stoke just sort of bullying us. And I think that day was a day where I just went into so many tackles and there was one when Crouch came on, there was one moment and I think I did like three slide tackles on the bounce and ended up bringing the ball away and winning it. And I think that's when the fans started singing that song. And I think it was sort of a moment where fans stood up and sort of Arsenal were fighting against Stoke and obviously we went on to win that game. And I remember being on the, we got the train home from Stoke and uh, as we were getting on, there's obviously fans at the train station, and they're all singing that song as we were getting on the getting on the train, which was quite a moment. Yeah, I, th- I think the the kind of fans, isn't it? When when it's bad, it's really bad, but when it's good, it's really good. So from your perspective, when you're getting your name chanted like that, that must be one of the high points of your career. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, how, how much do you relish the challenge of playing against sort of this this different kind of level of players? So you've got you know your Diego Costas and your Peter Crouch's physicality, you know, obviously playing a part. But then, as you say, you talk about Sergio Aguero and the, the technical aspect of it, it must mean that you every single aspect of your game gets tested. Yeah, for sure. And um, I remember the pre-season, my first year at Arsenal, we played City, I think, in Sweden. And um, it was the first time I'd come up against Aguero. And the amount of times he, like, faked a shot and dropped the shoulder and go and run across the edge of the box. I must have dropped to my knees about four times and back up four, and then back down again, each with each sort of fake attempt I did. I just remember my quads burning, thinking, God, if he attacks me in the next 10 seconds, I'm, I'm toast. <laughs> have to be working on your lunges then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think as a fan, we massively underestimate that as well. You know, the, the technical quality of these players and how much of an effect it must have on, on, on the physical strain of defenders, you know, trying to keep up with them and whatever. You know, yeah. we, we only see it from a distance, but, you know, to, to be subject to that directly must be absolute hell. Yeah, the speed. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, when we played at Anfield, one of the hardest grounds to play at, I was up against Mane and he was out on the left and I was right side centre half and he'd come inside. And everyone's like, you've got to show him the line. And I'm, no, I'm, showing, I'm trying to show him the line. But as soon as he takes that little touch inside and then hits it and you're trying to close that down, you miss that by a millisecond and that ball's whipped past you and it was in the top corner. And I just thought, I knew what he was going to do, but you couldn't stop it. It was, it was that fast. Yeah. Well, like, with Sadio Mane, he won't be the first to be you know, taken on with his pace. He, he's, he's absolutely electric at times. So yeah. it, must, it must be difficult to sort of adjust to... Because they're not just better technically when you go up that level. There's a physical level that they've stepped up as well. 
Yeah, exactly. exactly. They're, they're, they're faster and they think faster and move the ball faster. The first touch is always perfect and they take it where they want to. Yeah, did, did you feel that at the, towards the end of that first season, obviously you got the run in the FA Cup side and almost the run in, in, the, in the first team as well. Do you, do you think that having sort of that time in that first season to prepare to then be put in towards the end helped you or would you have preferred to have been sort of eased in earlier? Uh, it was sort of weird how that first season panned out. So I, I obviously got the first three games of the season before the international break and then they, they signed Mustafi, another centre-half and I was like, oh, well, that's sort of my position under threat now. And um, I didn't play again, really, apart from the cup games until sort of after Christmas, I sort of broke into the first team as we changed to a back three. Mm. And uh, I had a, like a run of sort of eight games towards the end of the season, which sort of fell in tune with the FA Cup semi-final and the uh, final. But in the FA Cup, I, I was in the team that played away at Sutton on the AstroTurf, Sutton United. And, and then the next game was at home to Lincoln, obviously. It was a similar standard, and I thought, oh, for sure, I'm going to be playing in this game. And I wasn't. And I was I was a bit surprised and taken back by the fact that I wasn't involved in that game. And the team ended up winning 5-0. But obviously, things happened and went to the back three and was fine for the rest of the run. But that sort of time from the start of the season to sort of past Christmas was just a time where I had to sort of get back to the training ground, refocus and sort of really work on my game and take as much learning as I can. Yeah. Did, did you prefer playing in a back three? Do you think that's where to get the best out of you? Um I don't know, at, the, at the time, the back three just seemed to be clicking. And I think it was Chelsea that season who really started took the back three and made it their own. And yeah. after, it was actually after we beat them at our place. I think we beat them 3-0. Three, three and they were a back four. And they changed to a back three and then went on that run and ended up winning the league. So the back three that season was obviously a, a trend. And it helped because I could get on the ball and was allowed to sort of carry it forward in a bit of sort of an off-centre position. Mm-hmm. And had that security knowing that I had four people sort of behind me who could recover if I lost it. So... Yeah, I think I found it more comfortable and the pressure was a bit off, knowing that you had that security. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You, yeah, no, exactly. Well, you, I, was gonna, I was literally going to say, because obviously we, we, we tried to sort of adopt that, that situation. I think that formation sort of lives and dies by its wing-backs, almost, because, as, as you say, you know, you can have three competent centre-halves in there, but if they're getting constantly exposed because the wing-backs have shot up and don't have the, the fitness to get back, I, I, can't, I can't imagine how difficult that must be, but it's fortunate. I think you've got Bellerin on the right and yeah, um, on the left. I can't remember who, who would have been playing there, but you know, Nacho, people not show. Yes, of course. You know, people who are capable of doing that it must help enormously. Yeah, for sure. And you got Hector who can get up to the byline and then back to the other byline. No problem. One of the fittest, fittest guys I know. I was going to say, I think the competition is obviously a little bit different to the, in terms of the full-backs at Arsenal, but at Bolton, obviously, you then alternated at first between between playing at right back and centre half. Was there any particular preference in that? Or, you know, if you got the chance at Arsenal, would you like to play it right back? <laughs> Not at this time. <laughs> right back. <laughs> but uh, at, at Bolton, it was sort of, I was needed to fill in at right back. Obviously, everyone knew I was a centre-half, but to play at right back, sort of, I was just happy to get in the team. And if they needed me to do a job there, I don't think I was the most attacking right back in the world, but hopefully <laughs> a bit more secure. A clear preference for, for playing centre-half then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it was away at Forest when David Wheat actually went off with a slight hamstring injury and I moved from right-back into centre-half alongside uh, Dorian David. And since I never moved from centre-half from that on, then on through that rest of that season. What is it with Neil Lennon putting people who don't want to play right-back at right-back? I mean, how, how was Josh Bella's <laughs> mind when he was put there, for God's sake? I think he found that very difficult at the time. I mean, he, he's an out-and-out midfielder box-to-box type player and 
having to sort of fill a hole at right back must have been so frustrating for him. But he did he did a job, and he was probably so grateful when I came up and sort of let him go loose in midfield, and I I filled in for him. Yeah, he certainly when we spoke to him, he, it's not a time that he remembers particularly fondly. Let's put let's put it that way. Um, like we said, Rob, obviously got off to that brilliant start. You end up winning the FA Cup in your first season, and then you know things start to go wrong late 2018 when you you got your your bad injury. We as Bolton fans, I think the list of people who've done their their ACL is you know longer than any list in the world. It must be very very difficult to be able to come back from that kind of injury when there's so many others like Stuart Holden, for example, who don't actually make it back. Yeah, I know he's, he's had a nightmare with his knees, hasn't he? I actually played in a 23s game that he was sort of making his recovery game back from his injury, and it was at Everton at the at the Reebok at the time. And uh, we, he played the first 10 minutes and then went off because he knew it wasn't right, and then we never really saw him again. But that was that's unfortunate. But yeah, the the knee injury, I was just more gutted that I'd gone on such a good run, and I was playing Old Trafford, which was like my boyhood club growing up, and I was just so happy to be playing there. And then yeah, next thing you know, he come, I got hit and. Just as I went to like catch myself, it just happened, and there's nothing you can really do about it. But having the support and sort of one of the best surgeons in the world and stuff working on your knee, it gives you that confidence that it's going to be okay. Yeah, had there been any talk of playing for England before that point? Because that was when, had that injury not happened, I could have easily seen you being put in the England squad. Because, like you say, you got such a consistent run of games, and we desperately need a centre half. So. Yeah, I think it, just before that that game, it was the November November international break, and um, the England team was training at the at Arsenal's training ground. And I remember as we were walking out, the lads that weren't on it, we weren't away with the international teams. We were walking out to training, and Steve Holland, Gareth Southgate's assistant, he um, he pulled me and just said, "How are you? How are things going?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm all right. Like finally settled and getting a good run of games." He said, "Yeah, we've been watching you. Um, we are looking at you, so keep keep doing what you're doing and keep keep building." And I was like, appreciate that. Thanks for the, thanks for the compliment or whatever. And so I went off training. He went his way and trained with the, trained the team. So I knew they were watching and they, they were keeping an eye out. And it was just sort of how I was progressing. But yeah, sort of stunted my my momentum that I had. But I'm sure no, I can again. Yeah, knowing that, given that you obviously possibly would have had the opportunity to play for England had you not been injured, and also as you say, it's such a difficult injury to come back from. From from a mental health perspective, do you think that affected you greatly? Or have you always been able to deal with that kind of thing reasonably well? Uh, I've always sort of been able to deal with that. I don't really focus on the fact that it happened and it sort of killed the momentum I had. I sort of saw it as like, right, well, what's the next thing that I need to do? And sort of got myself involved with the steps and the physios and stuff at Arsenal laid it all out for me and gave me like, right, after four weeks you'll be doing this, six weeks this, a month this, another month you'll be doing this. So I just saw that as like each little mini target and um, so I worked my way through through them and until I was eventually back on the grass training and sort of joined in with, even when I first got to warm up with the team again, that was felt like I was just back straight away. Then I went my own way and did my own sort of rehab stuff. Mm. That's the way to, to deal with sort of a long a long layoff like that is just look at little, little mini goals. And I spoke to, I don't know if you know Ryan White, who used to play at Bolton. Yeah, I've seen him on yeah. Twitter a few times, Ryan White. Uh, he... Um, I know he did his ACL like recently and I just sent him a message and just said sorry to him mate and, they, and like give him little steps of what's the best way to that I found to deal with it and said if you need anything just let me know so uh, helping other people through it is something that because I, the, the response I received from um, people that I didn't even know really knew me so the biggest one was David Louise and obviously he's, he's a teammate now 
but he um, he messaged me out of the blue and just said, "You you have the the ability to have a fantastic career. Just keep focused, and you'll get through this and stuff like that." And I was just like really taken aback that he'd gone out of his way to sort of message me when I had no interaction with him prior to that. He seems like a fascinating character. What's it like having him as a teammate? He is he is a very good character to have around. He's obviously he's won nearly everything there is to win, and uh, I think his experience and the way he is as a person, he he's very motivated even at this time in his career, and he wants he wants the young lads to come through and be the best they can be. He's not one of them that's like the young guy's going to come through and take my place. He wants to push us on to be as good as he was. Or is yeah. <laughs> it's oh, you got yourself in trouble there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, as we, as we were leaving and he was arriving for the training ground, he was just laughing, having a joke. That's good. Like I say, I think I think at these kind of times, it's good that I think you're back in training, whether or not you know it's the best idea. That's obviously up for debate. But I think keep from sort of keeping people active and keeping you know that that sort of dressing room spirit going, it must be much more helpful than sitting at home doing a solitary training routine. Yeah, it gives you that focus as well. You're back at the training ground and you're on like on the pitches and you sort of think, oh, we're back now. I'm I'm back into sort of being a footballer mode and switching it back on, ready for when we when we turn when we actually start and it gets into bigger groups and if we ever get to that point. But yeah, yet to be seen. Have you had a think of sort of what the future would be for you at Arsenal? Are you looking as and when the season resumes or if it doesn't for next season of really stamping yourself into that first team? I know there's obviously a fair few defenders still at the squad now, sort of maybe not on, on the same level or in your way. Yeah, obviously there's been a few centre-ass brought in and stuff and it is frustrating, but I've got a, I saw this, this has been sort of an opportunity for me to get my fitness right, get my knee feeling absolutely spot on and being ready that when we come back, I want to be the one that's took the most advantage of this time we've had to be the fittest and the strongest and just be bang at it and hopefully make a make a big impression and sort of maybe hopefully finish some of the games that we've got left and then really... It's a fair game now, isn't it, I suppose, Rob? Because, you know, obviously everyone's now in the same situation. You, you, it's fair game as to, as to who comes out of it best, I suppose, and if you make a good impression to the coaches and to the rest of the, rest of the staff, I'm sure that'll be recognised and you'll get your place. Exactly, and the the little games that we have left, and then I think I don't know how long it'd be till the next season. I can imagine it being pretty pretty sharpish, and then I'm back into a little preseason there. So I think it's a good opportunity for me now. Was the situation that I was in, with sort of not being in the squad, being on the bench a few times, with the new manager, is a chance for me to come back and hit the ground running into this new new season. Well, I think if Mikel Arteta is listening here, get Rob in the team. He deserves it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rob, 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 thank you for sort of going through um, sort of like your time in your career. It's been a really, really good chat. I'm just going to hand over to Will now for the Twitter questions before we wrap up. Um, there's, been, there's been quite a few sort of a mixture of Bolton and Arsenal ones, so I'm hoping that he's picked out the sensible ones out of, because they tend to be a few rogue ones. <laughs> Best of luck, Will. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> There's one or two uh, tongue-in-cheek ones. I'll, I'll try to avoid them as best I can. But um, So, obviously, we spoke briefly about the possibility of you, of you getting an England call-up and, obviously, your injury sort of slightly hindering that. Uh, how close do you think that is in reality, perhaps, if, if football was to resume as normal sort of within the next year or so? Do you see yourself breaking into that England side anytime soon? Um, I mean, it's obviously a goal. It's obviously playing for your... Your country, I think there's no greater pride, and uh, having that at 21s level was was special. So imagine playing at Wembley in front of whatever, what is it, eighty thousand, ninety thousand, 
uh, fans, it'll be a great experience. But yeah, my focus at the moment is literally just to get back and playing with Arsenal and playing week in, week out, being being that starting centre half. So that's the aim. And what happens after that will take care of itself if I'm playing. Obviously, we'll see what happens. I know Euro being not back a year will give me mm. an opportunity to maybe push on. Yeah, fantastic. No, it's good, it's good to, to see that you, you, you're so encouraged by that. Uh, got one that's more Bolton related now. Uh, saying, do you feel that any Bolton players maybe should have had under twenty one caps at the same time as you, but missed out due to Premier League biasness? Uh, I think the likes of Clough, Mark Davis, etc., could have been given chances. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I said earlier in the podcast with um, with Cloughy, I was I was amazed that we never did when we were sort of in the eighteens, nineteens age group and the way he was playing for our team. Um, we had we had such a good squad that that year, and I mean Luke Woodland was was there, and he was always sort of sixteen, seventeens, eighteens with England, and then obviously he did his ACL, funnily enough, in um, away at Reading in the FA Youth Cup. <laughs> it's always the bloody yeah. ACL. It really is annoying. <laughs> and he, he sort of the fight back from that was difficult, and so I went went off the radar, I think. But yeah, there was there was good players. Niall Ma that Cluffy mentioned. Growing up, he was always one of the lads that was a year older than me and was a centre half, so he was like the competition. But mm. when we formed a partnership in that 18 squad, we had a really good, really good bond and helping in the carpool with me, him, and Cluffy. <laughs> we always... he, he mentioned the carpool, I think. Yeah, you said you'd listened to the previous one. He said that he enjoyed that. <laughs> I mean, Cluffy, I've never heard someone listen to talk sport every minute of every day. <laughs> he, he'd, he'd find it difficult to avoid any I'll, criticism I'll if it were out there yeah <laughs> I used to get in the car and I'd have my music on and then I'd always drive to Denton first and if it was his turn I'd jump in his car and it was straight to Talksport and Niall Niall would have Capital on so I had a bit of music but I was always in my CDs and I had Stone Roses and Oasis on constantly so they were probably sick of that good choices proper Nolan <laughs> buddy the, uh, the kit man I'm sure, I'm sure you, you remember him he's, uh, he's asking him about you uh, you having to clean the first team boots whilst uh, whilst being part of that first team yeah Hoodie, Hoodie's a top lad top lad Hoodie I've got a lot of time for him but um, yeah I was when I first sort of was I wasn't really playing when I when I started playing he'd let me off and I didn't have to do it which was nice of him but uh, when I was sort of still just training with him but not really involved yeah I'd uh, I'd have to clean the boots and stuff. But the treat was I got to eat at Exton, which was better food than what we were eating down at the academy. So I didn't mind <laughs> scrubbing a few boots and and then getting some good grub. All worthwhile, absolutely. Uh, we mentioned that he obviously perhaps wasn't, wasn't all that inclined to leave Bolton unless the, the interest had come in from Arsenal. Um, perhaps had, had the finances been in, in somewhat of a better shape, would that have influenced you to, to stay even more so? Or did, 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 that, did the situation even... You know, it, it impact your your decision to, to leave at all, or was it just not even a factor? It wasn't even a factor when it when it turned out to be Arsenal and that it was going to be a done deal with Arsenal. It would like if Bolton would have offered, I don't know what they could have afforded at the time with financials. I was wasn't really focused on that. It was more the opportunity of being at being at Arsenal and mm-hmm. playing Premier League football that I, I couldn't turn down. Good stuff. You obviously mentioned that you socialised with the likes of Alex Oxley, Chamberlain at Nobu and what have you. Is there any other interests and hobbies that you've taken up, sort of away from football in London? Uh, you know, you know that that you've been able to, to sort of gain throughout this career, this period of career. Um, I like I love my music, so I've been obviously this lockdown's been 
uh, hard to get through, so you need to do something in your house. So I've had my guitar out, which I learned when I was at Bolton, actually, because I was coming home from training and I was doing nothing and I'm playing video games. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get out this guitar that we had in the loft that my sister used to use and just try and teach myself that. And I ended up doing Half the World Away was my first song that I, that I learned. And then, <laughs> and then uh, a couple of weeks ago, I bought a piano just to sort of do try that and I've been sort of practicing that and quite enjoying that at times uh but then that activity wise before the lockdown I was trying to I'm trying to get into golf because Callum loves golf the Ox loved golf and Rambo loved golf and I was I'm just a terrible sort of batting <laughs> player so at cricket I was more of a bowler than I was a batter I was awful at batting and I think golf I'm getting better but I might I might have to pick up lessons when this when this lockdown lifts and we can actually go out and about and do stuff well hopefully it'll be one of the first things that comes back golf so you'll get an awful opportunity to practice yeah well you're on the like you get on the course on, on your own you've got your social distancing aren't you exactly yeah, absolutely i think we can all go though with that that we're not perhaps all that all that great at, at, at sports that include sticks and what have you but, <laughs> oh you never see me play cricket i'll, I'll have you now i'm all right uh, i'm sure you are so <laughs> Someone's asking, uh, who was the best player beside yourself at Bolton when you were there? Um, best player, I know Cluffy was technically from when I was growing up. He was always very good technically. And I know the Cluffy finish is literally the FIFA finish, the R one and circle, and that's just, that's exactly. Or <laughs> a little dink over the keeper if he's one on one, and that, that that was his two finishes. <laughs> so he was he was technically one of the best. Uh, Max Clayton was good. He he had pace and he'd get at you and attack you. But I think he struggled with injuries and sort of killed his momentum. Yeah, he did. I think he he, he really deserved a, a chance at, at you know running the team. Had had he not experienced those injuries, but he's uh, it's one that's unfortunately fallen by the wayside by the looks of it. But yeah. this week outside for Bolton, you just get injuries. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Josh Bella obviously was was uh, the star player through from the academy and had all the ability. Uh, obviously, Weeter. If you look at just actual football defending, he's, he's had a hell of a career doing that. Mm. I was going to say, we Mark Davis was still there at the time oh, that you were there, wasn't he? Oh, Sparky, yeah. Sparky was unbelievable when he when he was on form. His the, the speed he dribbled with the ball was 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 ridiculous and very hard to live with when he was running it. Yeah, so yeah, mm. I need to mention up there. I think he could have made it to the top as well. Had, had he not, you know, sort of encountered such injuries and what have you, but. Some good choices in there, nonetheless. Uh, someone's asking, what's your relationship like with Mikel Arteta and how close are you to it, to his permanent first team, would you say? Yeah, what I've, what I've found and really liked during this lockdown is how in touch we've been between the boss and the two assistants that he's brought in, Albert and Steve Brown. We've, uh, we've been in touch and even the, the board members have texted me. I had a text from Eddie, who's the technical director this morning, and he's checking in, seeing how things are and stuff. And I think it's just nice to know that you're in touch with people because when I was first there, I didn't really have have much conversation with Arsene Wenger other than in person. Uh, and then Unai didn't really speak to in terms of on my phone or like away from the club or occasionally in the club when we'd go into his office. But yeah, the relationship that I think the, the current group are building between the players and them is just a healthier environment to work in. And I think we'll... Mm. Come on, leaps and bounds as we we get all get back together and back in the flow of what we were doing beforehand. 
Absolutely. I'm sure you might, uh, you know, wish you good evening many, many times. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone's asking, what what was your best Arsenal moment aside from your debut so far? Uh, that'd be FA Cup, winning the FA Cup then. Uh, that was a special, special moment that I don't think you you don't really appreciate at the time. And I remember an interview when we were just sort of on, on the pitch and the Arsenal media were going around getting little clips and I was next to the Orcs. And I was actually waving at my dad in the in the stand where all the parents were sat. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to the camera, he said, this guy's come in, played a FA Cup final, won it, and has he's no idea what he's done yet. And at the time, I was just laughing, thinking, I know I've done it, but like, it's weird. <laughs> but then, like, yeah. like, you actually, you go two years, three years without winning the trophy, you're like, oh, wow, that was actually very special. Ooh, and, yeah. straight now, then. <laughs> really, really hungry for that next, the next trophy, the next bit of silverware. No, I'm sure that's the absolute boy of dream, isn't it? In that scenario, to win the FA Cup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What What What's your favourite uh, backline sort of uh, partners to to play with in a back three or a back four? Uh, a back A back three. If I went for the three centre halves. I think the FA Cup final one with pair in the middle, me on the right, and Nacho was actually on the left as a left back playing the left side centre half, but did a did a solid job. But if I put Cashel in the end on that left hand side, I think that would be that'd be a solid back three. In terms of a back four, Hector Bellerin on the right, me right side, Cashel on the left side, and left back. I think that I played with at Arsenal. I'm stuck between Nacho and Kieran Gibbs. I used to really enjoy with Kieran Gibbs playing left back. Well, no, Rob, are you sure you don't want to say Kalasinac just in case he beats you up? <laughs> in case he ever listens to it, I'll have to mention him because he'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sure you don't awesome. want to mention Dean Moxie? <laughs> oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek. He's a good lad. Good stuff. Uh, would you say Koscielny's then arguably your favourite centre-half pair? Yeah, I think I'd say, say he's one of my favourites that I've played with. You sure you don't want to mention um, Callum, seeing as you're good mate? So. If he listens to this and knows that I didn't mention him. <laughs> Maybe in five years' time I can be saying, yeah, me and Callum, solid. There you go, Callum, there's your mention. How far away are you from full fitness at all? I'm not sure how far down the line I, you are with your injury, actually. Rob, I do apologise for, for not keeping up with no, it. But... Fine. Um, the, so I made my sort of return earlier in this season against Nottingham Forest. Ended up scoring, actually, and wearing the captain's armband, which was a special moment. Uh, maybe that could be up there for one of my favourite Arsenal I was moments. going to ask that, actually, yeah, because it suddenly came into my mind when Will asked the question. I'm sorry we didn't cover it in the general chat because I was it was one of those relief moments, I would have thought, coming oh, back and scoring. And it was just weird how, literally, just before that corner, um, I think Mesut went off and I was given the armband as like, the vice-captain that, for that game. And then, yeah, tapped the corner and it just fell on my head and it was just sort of a moment you couldn't write it any better, really. But um, sorry, I forgot the first the initial question. Uh, it, it was just how far away are you from full fitness? Yeah, so obviously, yeah, I made my my comeback and then um, away at Leicester, I got a whack on the inside of my left knee that I had the injury, and um, I had this bit of bone bruising and swelling that wouldn't go down, and I was trying to train through it, and then it it flare up again. So I ended up having to get an injection in it to sort of take all the swelling away and have it drained, and then since then it's been it was absolutely fine. And I was training. So I played a few a few minutes under Mikel Arteta when he came in. And then, yeah, it's been absolutely fine now. And uh, I'm just raring to go and looking forward to when we're getting back. 
Good to hear. Um, what else have we got? Uh, did you have any regrets during your time at Bolton? Obviously, it wasn't the best of seasons, but were, were there any particular regrets in, uh, you know, that, that you could pinpoint at all or, or were there no real, you know, real down points? Uh, I don't think, no, I don't think there was any down points, really. Obviously, the situation wasn't great and was a, was a downer on the season. But for me, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just about breaking through and sort of playing, enjoying playing the games week in, week out and... Yeah, that was that was my only focus really, and I didn't really see as uh, anything that I could do differently. No, fair enough. Uh, we've only got a couple left now. Uh, how do you feel about the change in the in the academy status at Bolton? Obviously, we, we we've just lost it for the first time now. Um, obviously, it's been made redundant to an extent. Is it, do you feel that's a shame for from their perspective for the lads coming through, or do you think it's a, perhaps a better opportunity for them to move on in their careers? You know, a fast track pace. Yeah, I know it's a difficult situation for Bolton. Obviously, I've kept tabs on it throughout the years, and the fact I survived was a massive bonus. And I was so happy to hear that. It was so unfortunate for, for Berry not to, and because obviously mm-hmm. I know in Bolton and Berry, but at the end of the day, you want your football teams to survive, especially with the pedigree that both Bolton and Berry have got. Um, but the academy status office is so difficult, and. I know financially things that just need to be cut down and made better so the club can survive first team level at first and then hopefully it can rise and the academy can come back to being the category one that it, that it has been in the past and what's produced a good crop, a good group of players. Um, the players that are there now, I feel sorry for because it's just really, I thought mine was bad timing when I went full time and we dropped out of the Premier League. But... Mm-hmm. I'll go through this one now is very difficult for them and I'm sure there'll be ways around it where they can keep playing the football. We've got a question from um, one of our lads in the chat, uh, Rob, which was concerning your time at Berry, and he was just wondering, you know, why you didn't think that that worked out given that it seemed to be sort of the first step that you'd take on your um, way up the professional football ladder. I thought it worked out that long because it was, it was a loan, but not for like me to go there and be starting and playing. It was for me because it was I think it was late March that I went. So I only went there for two months. And it was just for me to be around a male environment of a first team group of players rather than being with twenty threes and lads my age. Sure. An experienced pro who's thirty two year old and if he's telling me what to do, then I do it. I don't because I don't answer it back. Like in, in uh, the twenty threes where I was, I was quite the leader and I was one of the more experienced guys. So mm-hmm. it was that yeah, how did that come about? Uh, who kind of recommended that idea to you for to join Berry and be around that kind of environment to help you mature? Um, it was Ian Brunskill. He said, because obviously I think the plan was that that next season I'd be pushed up to the first team. And I think going there would be, would be a good move for your, for your growth levels and dealing with the pressure of a first team environment, which I think is... is, is Tick the boxes that I was going there for, and they got promotion away at Tranmere on the last day of the season. With I think it was a goal from uh, called Daniel Nardiello or something like that. I think it, I think it was him that, that sort of toe poked it in. And I remember the very end going absolutely mental and balloons everywhere, and part like jumping around in the changing rooms after. And so it was a really really good time to be there. And I mean the chairman at the time was always around the training ground, was really hands on with the players and wanted to see everyone doing well. And I think it was a and they were at Carrington at the time. They'd got the city's old training ground. And it was just a good, a good experience for me. 
it must have been so doubly sad then to see them go the way that they did, especially as you say, the, uh, the, the chairman that you played under seemed to have a good relationship with everybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When I was following what was going on and it actually came out that they had to fold, it was, uh, it was a sad moment, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, I've got a question from a friend of mine now. He's saying, uh, are there any similarities between Arteta and Wenger at all for you? And what do you think of Arteta's uh, you know, sort of project so far? Um, I felt that as he's come in, he's brought an intensity. He's a very intense uh, manager, the way he speaks and his demands. And I think being for three or four years under Pep Guardiola, he, he's learned so much and you can see how he coaches and I would probably see from like videos of I think watching that Amazon Prime all or nothing with uh, City and yeah. see you can sort of see little mannerisms that are quite similar and uh, yeah. I think it, in terms of with Wenger it's difficult to say because I know Wenger was sort of at the end of his career and Mikel's just starting his, his as a manager yeah. and sort of implementing his ideas so time will tell in that department but I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying working with him the first couple of weeks that we've had together. Fair enough. That was a good answer. Uh, final question that we've got from Twitter is, who was your footballing inspiration growing up? Uh, <laughs> I've been asked this but, like, with Arsenal media and the response just never goes down well with Arsenal fans. Yeah. <laughs> it was real Man United player, is it? Yeah, it's Rio Ferdinand and the Man United <laughs> partnership. I was good. Oh, are you a United fan? I grew up a United fan, yeah, I was from, from Manchester. Oh, wrong. He said, he said well. an academy lad supporting Manchester teams. <laughs> <laughs> I was not you as well. I was at Bolton. <laughs> Must have been at odds with Cluffy, given that he's a big City fan. Yeah, I know, we had some, we had a bit of battle between them. <laughs> when he was, <laughs> Niall was a City fan as well, so I had to sit in the car with them two for an hour every day. An hour and oh. a half. But, uh, yeah, real first in the Man United with a, partnership that was just I think the 08 09 season they were, they were frightening and... yeah no they were they were solid weren't they well, uh, well th- thanks very much for answering those Robin I have to say although I'm not the biggest Arsenal fan I do find myself you know cheering them on when, whenever you're playing and what have you you are, you are a bit of a you know I do follow them because of uh, because of your progress and, and your move there so all the best with it and I'll, I'll hand you back to Tom for the end of the for the close of the podcast thanks so much well, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, Rob, thank you very much for talking to us. I know it's uh, probably taken longer than you're willing to give away at the time you need to get on with your gym work and whatever, but it is, it's fantastic to speak to you. And there, as you could probably see if you follow us on Twitter, there was so much sort of uh, excitement about you coming onto the podcast. So thank you for giving us your time. No problem. I fully enjoyed it. Do you have anything to say to the Bolton fans? Yeah, I know it's been hard times for the past four or five years. Bolton, I was there during the good times and I'm sure they will return eventually and just keep the faith and the club surviving is a massive boost and I mean if this season gets cancelled Bolton stay up so fingers crossed there and then we can build on it and get ourselves going <laughs> well, 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 what we like to hear cheers Rob good good um, you, if you listen to the Cluffy one you'll have heard that we do a signature sign off when we end the podcast and you will do after I've uh, asked the other two to say goodbye so if there's nothing left to say boys then it's time to say goodbye so say goodbye Will goodbye Will say goodbye James Goodbye, James. Say goodbye, Rob. Bye, Rob. And it's goodbye from me, Salabi.